Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce my guest, I just want to say what I've been watching this week. Um, I have not been watching much, to be honest, but the circus did come back on Showtime, which is, as a lot of you know, one of my favorite shows. They, of course, break the fourth wall with the COVID of it all, which is really well done. And it's just such a good show. They've managed to make everything suspenseful and thrilling, even though we already know what's going on. And it's, of course, politics. So I just love that show. I'm watching Unwell on Netflix. What a crazy show. Uh, There's episodes on breast milk and how adults are using that to bulk up. And this one woman that pumps 80 ounces of breast milk a day. (laughs) It's really insane. Um, There's a a kind of disturbing episode on um, essential oils and multi-level marketing. And there's, it's, I haven't watched all the episodes yet, but I think they do a pretty good job of sort of showing you a lot of different sides of the industry of wellness. Um, I recommend it. I think it's really well done. It's done by the folks at Left Right, who also do the circus. Look at that. I just realized they're just such good filmmakers, documentarians, producers, really, really good. Today on the podcast, Courtney Sexton. Courtney has been the senior vice president for CNM Films since 2013. She has the best job ever, working day-to-day with filmmakers to supervise the production of documentary films for not just theatrical, but distribution across all of CNN's platforms, which now, of course, includes HBO and HBO Max. Some of the films we talk about include Blackfish, which is You have to see it if you haven't seen it. It's a classic. Three Identical Strangers, same there. And the new doc on HBO Max called On the Trail, which is about female journalists covering the campaign trail for CNN. Very well done. I really enjoyed it. We talk about how all these docs got made, what Courtney's looking for in a film, and who her white whale is as a documentary subject. You might be surprised. Hi, Courtney. Hi there. Nice to have you. Thank you very much. My first podcast. Oh, it's your first podcast? It's my first podcast. So thank you for uh, letting me join you on the airwaves. Absolutely. Well, I'm honored that you're doing it. You are behind some of the best documentary films of all time. I just can't even believe your resume. I just kept adding and adding to my notes just all these incredible films that you've had your name on. It's kind of overwhelming in an amazing way. Well, I have been very fortunate to be a part of, as you said, a lot of great films. And I, uh, I I feel very fortunate. So thank you um, for saying that. And and I feel, I feel very lucky. We're going to get into some of the films in a little bit more detail because there's so many and so many great ones, but I kind of want to start at the beginning because I don't, know that much about you. We've obviously never met, but now we are. And I want to know sort of like, where did you grow up? How did you get into documentary? Just a little bit more about your background. Sure. Yeah, I am. I'm from the Midwest. I, I grew up and spent sort of the first half of my life in Indiana, um, and made my way to the West coast, um, with this dream of working in documentaries. Um, and, you know, really was sort of thankfully naive enough to just think that you could move to Hollywood and and make it happen. (laughs) So I, early days, I was, I was working actually, um, you know, more in the scripted world, 
just getting my feet wet. And I met um, a director, Davis Guggenheim, who just, he took a shot on me and brought me in and, and sort of was my first, um, you know, real sort of job with a documentary director. And I spent a few years with him. Was that and for Inconvenient then, Truth? Or was that before that? It was before that. We, we you know, in the in the course of working for him, we went to Participant Media together. It was when it was, well, I guess it's now Participant. Um, at that time, it was Participant Productions. I had just launched, and they were looking for um, somebody to come in and, and start their documentary division. And they hired Davis, so I went with him and sort of very quickly – um, you know, in Inconvenient Truth, the idea of it, um, came to, to us. And I think that was, you know, I think six months in, I want to say, um, and then it was decided that he wanted to direct it as well. So it was a quick, um, time that he was an executive and he went off to direct that. And then ultimately, um, just continued directing and left the company as an executive. And I stayed on there and spent, close to the next nine years, um, just really learning, um, learning development, learning the side of the business. Diane Weyerman had um, come in probably a year later from Sundance and, you know, it was really my sort of with Davis, the foundation of my career. And, and I, you know, built that there and uh, CNN came to me, I think in 2013. Um, and that felt like a, a good jump for me to, you know, be at, at a platform that had a distribution side um, to be, you know, at a different type of company and, you know, again, sort of building something from the ground up. So, um, you know, I've, I've spent most of my career between CNN and participant and, you know, prior to that a few years with Davis. So that's, that's the story. So what was it that drew you to documentaries and working at documentaries originally when you first started working for Davis? Well, I, I had studied politics and I was finishing my, my graduate degree. I was actually going to be a lawyer. Um, I had deferred law school and I was, you know, basically at the point where I was going to have to, um, move to DC and go to law school. And I, I just had a, a moment of realization that I didn't really want to be a lawyer. Um, it was sort of just the path that you perhaps take after, after studying politics and, you know, just really was thinking about what do I love? And, um, I had seen the war room. I mean, I'd seen other, other documentaries, but when I saw the war room, I was, it was sort of a light bulb of, Oh, you can be in this world of politics, social justice, you know, whatever. Um, but do it in a, a more creative way, um, and less of a, a suit and tie way. So I, um, that's when I decided oh, I'm going to move to uh, first, I moved to San Francisco first and then, then down to LA, but it was, you know, really that young, uh, just, you know, being naive and, and a good, when I say this in a good way, cause I, I think if I had worried too much about the obstacles, it, it, I wouldn't have done it. But I, I, at that point in my life, I, I didn't know the obstacles. So I just moved to the West coast and started, uh, working for free, you know, interning as most people do to get their, foot in the door. Um, so it was, it was really sort of one of those putting together my interests. And the amazing thing about documentary is every film is like taking a deep dive or a course in whatever it might be, whether it's a character study or an issue. And, um, 
it kind of was my way of just always being able to be a student and get paid for it. Yeah. Well, you, first of all, you dodged a bullet on the law school thing. (laughs) And and I I agree with wanted to be lawyers. I don't know why. Yeah. I think, I think you're right though. I always say I have no idea what I would do if I wasn't doing this because it's kind of like social anthropology. You get to dabble in so many different areas. And if you have a lot of interest and you're interested in a lot of things, like you said, it's the perfect way to kind of synthesize everything into one creative job. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful, a wonderful career. And thankfully um, has been something that just continues to be more popular. Um, So I, I got really lucky in that sense. Yeah. Amazing. So you've done so many films. I want to touch on some a little bit older and then bring us up to the present with some of the films that you guys have right now. God, I don't even know where to start. Well, Blackfish was probably the first CNM films film that I documentary that I saw and it blew me away. Um, was that something that was commissioned by you or did that come to you after the fact? What's the story behind Blackfish? So Blackfish actually is came in a little bit before I started. So, um, and I do know the story, but um, it was it was the first Sundance of CNN Films existing, and um, Vinny Malhotra, who used to be at CNN, and Amy Antelis, who's my boss here, um, they were at Sundance and you know saw the film. And of course, at that time, we're really trying to figure out like establishing what the brand is going to be and um, the types of films that would really tell the world what CNN films is. And I, you know, I believe they saw that film and thought this is exactly what we want CNN films to be. And um, I think the story is then he, you know, either left, I think he left before it ended um, and and made the call that they, you know, wanted CNN films to be a part of it. So, um, you know, I think, I think the film would have been a success anywhere because it's, it's wonderful. And, and really, um, you know, as Americans all have sort of, many of us have a connection to that brand. Um, but I think CNN particularly was able to elevate it in a way that sort of sent it off the charts because of the complimentary programming that they were able to do around it and have been covering the story, um, you know, for, for years. So, um, I can't really take any credit for, um, the success of that film, but certainly it was the foundation for everybody, you know, putting CNN films on the map and knowing the sort of scale and quality that we want. Um, so it, and it is, it it continues to be a point of conversation, which, you know, is pretty amazing. What is it? Seven years, six years later. Yeah. It was so groundbreaking and so well done. And I think you're right. I think it, all of a sudden it was sort of like, oh, it's on CNN. You know, I'm not used to watching documentaries on CNN. And now exactly. just, we're used to it by now. You know, it just seems like, oh, can't wait to see RGB on CNN. <laughs> yeah, I think we were, we feel very fortunate that that was, um, you know, one of the launching films. It, it definitely put us on the map in a way that, um, you know, we couldn't have expected. Another one that just completely blew me away that I know people saw at Sundance. And again, I'm not sure if you acquired it after Sundance was three identical strangers. No, that was a film that we were on um, basically from the beginning. Raw came in with Tim Wardle, the the director, and they pitched the 
the film to us. Um, at the time, they had, you know, a deck and they had a pitch reel, which I will say in this case really was what sold it um, because you could see imagery of meaning, you know, you can read about the triplets and you can read about the story, but when you actually see the images of them, um, the three of them, and you sort of, we were able to see some of the archive and I think in their, their reel, they really demonstrated the energy that Tim was going to bring to the film um, and the sort of twists and turns, even in a sort of three minute reel, it was really the, uh, an important tool that gave us the confidence that even though this was really something very different than we had done before, um, we felt like, yeah, we got to go on this ride. Even though we don't even know where it's going, we know half the story, but we don't know the second part. It just felt so compelling and how rare to get, um, you know, characters that you, one, have been documented in the way that they had, um, you know, from their own sort of popularity and their own story, but the, the backstory from their um, from the, from the research study, it, it just felt like one of those things that you, you have to see where it goes and you want to be a part of it. Yeah. For people who haven't seen the film and must see the film, cause I order them to see it. Can you just, without spoiling it, just describe what it's about? I know that's a tall order cause it's really hard not to spoil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think essentially it's the story of three identical it's triplets and their their birth story and you know what happened to them they I, I don't think it's a mystery that they were um placed for adoption um you know and it's the story of how they they came back together um and it's also a story of of nature versus nurture i think it's you know how we all are in this world um our our family and parenting structures but also bonds that are are created by you know I think the three of them being in a womb together. Um, and it's, you know, it really is, I think of everything that we've done, a story with the most twists and turns, um, very big highs and very big lows. So, yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but I, I think it's a story of family um, coming together, breaking apart, coming together again. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I think it's very rare for any network or, you know, outlet streaming platform to take a risk on a story that isn't finished, that you really don't know what the outcome is going to be. So I applaud you for getting on the ride because I think that was pretty bold and obviously paid off in spades. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, I have to give full credit to Tim and his producer, Becky and raw. I mean, they really, it, it, the story was going to be good no matter what, but they really executed it at the highest level, um, which I think made everybody feel like, wow, this is a movie. Um, you know, I think documentaries are movies anyway, but, you know, for the general public, I think that's also why it translated. It really sort of crossed those boundaries of feeling like you're watching something that you typically think of as a documentary. And when you saw, you know, the final cut come in, did your gut tell you this is going to be something that's going to be buzzworthy and people are going to really be talking about? We knew, we definitely knew we had something special. Um, I think when we got the acceptance to Sundance, that was sort of when we were feeling probably a little bit more confident that, you know, we've got the stamp of approval. We're going to launch at this wonderful festival. And, um, you know, no, I, no, none of us knew it would do the business that it did. I mean, that was just 
you know, a phenomenal year um, for us for theatrical documentaries. But I, I think also having Neon as a partner, they were sort of the perfect um, partner in terms of the tone of the projects that they distribute. And, um, you know, I would be lying if we if we thought it would go as far as it did. That was <laughs> all um you know, very, very fortunate to to come out that year and, and have that theatrical success on top of, you know, our broadcast success as well. Right. Because let's face it, even now, even though documentaries have had incredible renaissance in the last five years or so, it's still theatrical success is tough with docs. I mean, it just doesn't compare. Yeah. I mean, it really is a, a very small needle to thread, I think, to to get that success. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we've made a lot of films as you see, um, I'm sure looking through my bio and not all of them have that same level and, and that's fine. Not every film is, is meant to be that. I think, you know, our, our sort of, um, what, what we try to do at CNN is that we, we want to give every film that has the possibility of, of that sort of success, the ability to do it, which I think is sort of what makes us unique in the landscape of distributors is that, you know, we've really, been able to um, construct a framework for distribution that allows films like RBG, Apollo 11, you know, Three Identical Strangers to have that life and not not sort of limit it to just being a broadcast film or just being, you know, on one platform. We really find that these films find their audiences and their success in, you know, in, in having multiple platforms for distribution. Yeah, and you do it so well. One of the patterns that I noticed, and I don't know if it's accidental or intentional, but looking at the slate, you have Love Gilda, which I finally saw last night. I had been meaning to see, and I did it to prep for this, and it was absolutely beautiful. So thank you for that. <laughs> so you have Love Gilda. You have Linda Ronstadt, Sound of My Voice, which is fantastic. I saw that in the theater. You have RBG. You have the new film on HBO Max streaming right now called On the Trail, which is about a group of female journalists covering the 2020 campaign. They're all female stories and they're all female centered. <laughs> and of course, I love that. Was that when you pick the films that you want to either distribute or produce or throw your weight behind? Is that something conscious for you or is it just sort of the content that you gravitate toward as a woman or as a person? I think it's probably both. I mean, our entire CNN Films team is female. So I have two people that work for me and, you know, Amy and Phyllis, who I mentioned, um, all women running CNN Films. So yes, I think it's probably partially just personal taste, but I also think it's very much a conscious choice that, you know, when we look at the sort of scope of our slate, we definitely very much are, you know, making a point to make sure that we're highlighting women, both, um, you know, in front of and behind the camera, we're always having conversations about supporting female directors and, and um, you know, wanting to not just to be um, because it's taste, but because it's also important that, you know, there's a, there's a balance. So um, I think it's a little bit of both. Love to hear it. And I know on the HBO Max side, it's also all female team at the on the unscripted <laughs> side. So this makes me happy. It is. It is. Yes. <laughs> This is, this is good. So speaking of which, I want to talk a little bit about the new film you have out on HBO Max, as I mentioned, On the Trail. I really enjoyed this. I'm a former, I'm a, or I usually say a recovering journalist. I started in local news um, and did work in national news for a couple of years. So I definitely related on a small level 
to these female journalists, although covering a campaign is its own, in my opinion, nightmare because it's just, you never sleep and you work so tirelessly. But I loved how you chose the diversity of the women. And I love how you really kind of got fly in the wall inside of their lives to show what it's really like to not just work in news, but to cover a political campaign, which is its own animal. And then what shocked me and was exciting was that you guys were clearly filming and editing right into COVID because the movie, spoiler (laughs) alert, (laughs) ends with some Zoom stuff. And one of the reporters, again, spoiler alert, coming down with the virus. So talk about this from the beginning. Obviously, you followed CNN reporters, so it was kind of all in the family. But talk about what made you want to make this film and kind of how you decided on which reporters you would follow. Yeah, I mean, I think something that we're always trying to do just as sort of a, a backup to how we got there is, you know, what what does CNN uniquely do or have the capacity to do that, you know, most others don't. And, you know, our news reporting is obviously who we are and, and, and what we do day to day. So we're always trying to figure out, are there, are there things that we could do that we couldn't do elsewhere because of, of being CNN? And this really seemed like um, a great opportunity. My, my colleague, Katie Hinman, who really ran point on this, um, she came from the news side and, and has transferred over onto our team. So she was a great sort of um, bridge to, to the news side and understanding really what it is like to be out there because honestly I have no idea watching this film was <laughs> a revelation to me of, of what Aren't they you do glad and I was already, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I do have a much more cushy job um <laughs> so it was it was partially like what can we what can we do because of who we are and then what's the angle going to be and I I think that you know when you watch CNN you know even as you talked about the the films that we make women have a very strong voice on CNN and especially out in the field. And we felt that, um, you know, watching the various stages, which was also something that I didn't know before of sort of being an embed and becoming a, a reporter and then potentially becoming an anchor. There's this like trajectory that they go on that, that I had no idea about. So we really felt like there was a story to be told beyond the campaign, that there is a this sort of behind the scenes work story and the sort of fly on the wall, seeing that, seeing how they support each other, um, you know, just felt like a story we hadn't, we hadn't seen before. So, um, you know, part of it was just using the, the, the entree that we have, which is we have cameras out there and we have the ability to be there, which, which many people don't. Um, and then in terms of the keeping it current, we felt like we had to edit as much as possible in, in sort of current time, because this, it, you know, even though it's a story about the women and their work, it's still a very current story that could feel dated. Um, so we, yes, we had, we had editors and story producers working around the clock to get this thing out in a way that felt timely enough. Um, and I think because of COVID, it honestly almost feels like a, we needed that look back because we've been so focused on COVID that it was a great sort of, I felt like a refresher to sort of jumpstart where we are in the political, um, you know, atmosphere now, like this is where we've been, this is where we're going now, you know, moving forward to November. So I I think COVID in some ways helped that story feel even more relevant. Yeah. And it was such a startling contrast from the rest of the film because of the nature 
of their jobs, right? So they're working around the clock, they're flying here, they're running around here, they're barely sleeping, life is just constant motion, they're not seeing their families. Then all of a sudden COVID hits and a couple of the younger ones are going back to live with their families and they're not working. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was just, it was an interesting window into their world in a pandemic. And, you know, obviously it's changed all, obviously it's changed all of our lives, but it was just such a contrast because of the nature of what they do. That was really one of those things that you don't hope for. God knows none of us hope for that of hope for this pandemic, but I think it made for a really good ending to the film. Yeah, I I agree. And it, it certainly showed that how nimble they have to be as reporters that, you know, whether it's COVID or whatever they're dealing with, they have to adjust and just quickly get back into the field in whatever way. Um, I, you know, I have, I had respect for them before. Now it's off the charts respect after watching and going through this process. Agree. It also, I have in my notes that it, the, seeing the younger women renewed my faith in Generation Z. <laughs> because they're Aren't so they amazing? passionate. They're so great. Yeah, it's not just the hard work, which I love to see, but the passion. And, you know, it did remind me because when I went into journalism in, in college and then after college, you know, you really have to love it because it's, unless you're at the top of the, of the food chain, you know, the money's not great. You, the hours are crazy and it has to kind of be in your bones. And I felt like, wow, this is, you know, so many years later, and this is definitely something these women were born to do. And they get emotionally attached to their jobs and also to the candidates they were covering. It was very poignant in a way that I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And I also thought they brought a sort of raw um, quality to the, you know, they haven't been in front of the camera for years. And, you know, obviously Kyung and the rest of the women are amazing, but I, I felt like the, the embeds brought this also this rawness to the, um, to the film, which is really, I think the heart of it. Yeah, completely. And the fact that you did follow a Korean woman, a black woman, a Mexican woman, you could see how their background and their identities factored into why they even went into journalism in the first place and what they mm-hmm. hope, what they are bringing to the table and what they hope to sort of inspire in others. So that was like a whole other layer. It was just really good. Really, really good. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for saying that. It resonated, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) I also really loved John Lewis' Good Trouble, which is streaming now. Listen, I mean, again, with the timing on this one, I know you started this obviously way before his death, but God, it couldn't resonate and and way before the protests and everything during the pandemic. So talk about timing for a release, my Lord. Yeah. I mean, I, we, well, we were very fortunate and obviously unfortunate um, in the sense that, you know, he's no longer with us, but um, you know, I think that this really stemmed from our, we came off of RBG and I, I, again, I can't take credit for this. My colleagues who work for me, one of them had his graphic novel and, you know, we were sitting around brainstorming who else could, who else is our RBG? Who are other people, you know, that have been really, um, you know, our guiding lights and doing the work boots on the ground and are of a generation that have not had the sort of treatment that an art we did with RBG in, in the film. And, um, to their credit, they brought John Lewis, um, to, to me. And then, you know, we took it to our team and it sort of snowballed from there. It was like, yes, obviously this guy, he's, 
he needs that same treatment. Um, and, you know, Don Porter quickly came on as our director and, you know, so, so thankfully and grateful that we were able to capture him working and, um, you know, that this is not just a look back at, you know, archive that we were able to see some real time with him. And, and again, like what it takes to be, a politician and the work it takes. And um, I thought it was just incredible to see what these people do every day, whether you like them or not, it's still a very rigorous job. Um, and I thought Don was able to capture a lot of, you know, what it just takes to, to, to be in Washington and do that job. Yeah. That's what always strikes me. And I, I wrote that in my notes too, just the amount of energy. I mean, the man, <laughs> is, you know, decades older than me. And I can't imagine having the energy at my age, let alone his age, to be running around every, getting on planes, getting on the campaign trail to support other candidates. It's just a different breed of human being. And obviously RBG Mm -hmm. is a whole other level as well. I mean, these are why there are documentaries made about these people and the work they've done, because they're just special. They're just a different kind of human being, right? Yeah, definitely um, very, very special. And, and they're, they're few and far between, honestly. It's, it's not as if there's a list of 100 people that are at their level. They're very, very special. Um, and he was, um, you know, he was an amazing person. And it was such an honor. I know all of us feel like such an honor that we got to tell his story. And, and for him to see it before he passed was, you know, meant everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, the timing, the timing is good for the film in, in that sense. And also with the election coming up and so much of it being about voting rights. Um, but we are, we're, we are very grateful. He got to be a part of um, some of it. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't be a more important story right now. I really urge everybody to see it. And the last one that I want to talk about a little bit is Apollo 11, which when I look at the slate again, it's a bit of departure from a lot of the other movies that you've done. Cause obviously it's, it's documenting something that happened a long time ago. It was really interesting. And the footage was quite beautiful. I mean, it was filmed in 1969. What made you want to tell this story now and how did it come to you at CNN? So it started in a, we have these bi-monthly check-in meetings with Jeff Zucker and the larger executive team. And, um, I think in in that meeting, he said a year and a half from now or two years, I can't even remember, is going to be the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing. We should do something around it. Um, So we all regrouped and, you know, knew that there was going to be a ton of content around this story. It's, you know, a a massive American achievement, um, something that was documented. So we knew that we would not be the only one. So we were trying to figure out what can we do that will feel and be different than the rest. Um, And so we had previously done a short film with Todd Miller um, called Last Steps. This is First Steps. We did Last Steps, which is Apollo 17, the, the last mission to the moon. And we had sort of done this as just a exercise of like what what would something look like if we used all archive and really tried to make it experiential in the sense of taking the the audience on the journey but not through interviews or talking heads um and just using the available footage so we had a bit of a proof of concept with that short 
Um, so I went to Todd and, you know, basically was like, Hey, you want to do space again? <laughs> you want to get back into Apollo? And I think he, I, I think his, his remark was he was already thinking about something in, um, along these lines and was totally up for the challenge. So we, we basically used that as a template for what he did. Um, what we would could not have expected was the large format film archive that he was going to find. And, you know, it's a total credit to the relationship that he had built with NASA and the national archives that they, you know, would trust someone to take these, you know, he, there was this whole process, this white glove process of taking the film reels and digitizing them. And a scanner had to be brought over from London that was being built. Like it was a whole sort of enterprise just to actually get the footage um, digitized. And, you know, I think that Todd was uniquely positioned um, because he had done the short and he's just, um, I think an incredible artist and a person who can also sort of handle that level of technology. Um, They trusted him to do it. And, you know, the film would have been beautiful and wonderful without the large format, but we all know that just like <laughs> took it over the edge and, and made it um, a cinematic experience that I, I, I just love this film so much. And, and I, I think that, you know, Todd did such a brilliant job of um, crafting something that he, you know, obviously he didn't shoot, but crafting it into something that felt like you're watching it for the first time. Yeah. And thank you for doing it that way, Todd, without narration. I mean, it could have just gone such a different direction, you know, and, and been sort of that by the numbers doc and it, it wasn't. So it was really beautifully done. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a genius. So, um, very, very fortunate that he was, his hands were on it. So I'm glad you, you responded to it. Yeah. So in addition to, obviously working with directors that you think are geniuses and that you really trust and respect when you are looking at a proposal from a filmmaker, a producer, et cetera, what's the lens that you're looking through? What is it that you, obviously you have all different types of movies, but, and some of it's personal taste, obviously, you know, it's, there's a certain amount that has to be subjective. That's nature of the beast, but what is it that you respond to and that, lights you up when you're deciding whether to commission something or acquire something? You know, I think it's, it is a point of view, um, uh, to, to a big degree. I mean, we, a lot of the stories that we've told are not new stories. I mean, great uncle strangers is, is to a certain extent, but a lot of the stories we've told have, have been done before in, in various ways. I think what we're always trying to find is what's the, what's the new, and different way this director um, is coming to this project. How are they reframing the story? Also creatively, it's not just, um, you know, what the story is, it's how is it going to look? What's it going to feel like? And, and I go back to Periodical Strangers is a great example of, you know, I think Ta- or, um, Tim was really able to demonstrate in his reel and proposal that this was going to feel different than just sort of a paint by numbers approach. So we're always looking for storytellers that want to take our films to the next level. And I think that's also why we've been able to find, um, you know, some success in the theatrical marketplaces that we're really trying to make movies. We're trying to make films about things that people care about and, you know, certainly are commercial, but told in a way that feels, um, you know, unique. So um, some are more successful than others at that, but I, I think it's 
it's we're always trying to sort of push the envelope in, in that way um, while still trying to make things that, you know, appeal to a very broad audience. You know, CNN is across the country and we need to appeal to the middle of the country just as much as the, the coast. So we, we really do focus on subject matter that we think resonates across the board. Um, but how can we tell those stories, um, you know, I think in, a, in an unconventional way. I love that. Is there a bucket list subject, whether it's a person or just a subject that you want to do a film on that you well, haven't yet? I, I just, I, this is not going to be unique to, to just me because I'm sure many executives out there have the same person on their list. Um, but this is like a, a deep childhood. The first album I ever listened to, uh, it, it just struck, strikes such deep uh, chords of memories and, um, uh, is Dolly Parton. She's, she's the one that is, um, has been unattainable. <laughs> so I would love to do that. So Dolly, if you're listening, please call. Um, right. she's, she's, she's the one. So there is like a Netflix show and a podcast, but does she not participate in those? I haven't seen them or heard them yet. Yeah, she does. But the sort of comprehensive, right. you know, if, for simplicity, the the John Lewis, the RBG, the Love Gilda approach of, you know, really distilling her life in, in a documentary form into a feature has not been done. Um, so that I think would, you know, whoever does it, wherever it lands at some point would, would be, um, you know, a tremendous success. Really? She's so blessed. Dolly, but yeah, what's the it going to take? I, I think is... I think that podcast is a great, um, it, it is a, a good foundation for, um, you know, what her story is. And also I think the crossover appeal of Dolly, which is incredibly fascinating that she's not just beloved by country, um, you know, people who love country music. She really has a really extremely broad appeal. I did want to clear something up uh, before we end. I, I misspoke. Um, one of the reporters that I mentioned that I thought had COVID actually thought she had COVID. So she self-isolated, but she actually tested negative. So she was just sick with something else or who knows the test was wrong. God only knows, but she wasn't feeling well. So I'm sorry. Sorry about that. No I problem. Spread, especially with a, an outlet like CNN. I want to get my facts straight. <laughs> well, well, Courtney, this yes, has been so uh, great. Thank you so much thank you for, for giving me your time and for producing all these amazing movies. Well, thank you for having me. This is um, a great, hopefully not last podcast for me to be a part of. I really enjoyed it. And um, I enjoyed talking about these films. So thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. 